church, uh, what you've witnessed this morning, if I'm honest with you, there may be, uh, I can count on one hand the number of times when someone has been transparent and bold enough to come to me on their own and say, hey, this is what we feel God is calling us to do. I want to make sure you catch this church. Jesus is the forgiver of our sin. Sin separates us from God, and there is absolute freedom when we trust him. Don't let the enemy get on your shoulder and say, well, well, I didn't confess my willful disobedience before people. Hey, that, that's, that's between you and God. Jesus is the one who forgives your sin. But what I want you to know is maybe God gave you a gift from what Tim and Taylor did and their obedience to what God told them to remind you that if we knew everything about you, we would rally around you, put our hands on you, and love you to death. You don't need to confess your sin to me or to anyone else. You need to confess it to Jesus. And he wants to make you know that you are loved. In fact, uh, this morning as we close our series uh, from... 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 16. In fact, uh, we begin to see that chapter 16 is found in the context of this book. It doesn't just stand on its own. And so if you'll grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll be there in just a second. Actually, as you hold your Bible in your hand, I want you to go ahead and look at uh, a page back in chapter 15. Last week, the Lord uh, took us in a different direction, and he had me teach from Acts chapter 4, and, and uh, so we didn't get to chapter 14 and 15, so you may want to do some extra reading to catch that. But in chapter 15, we see that Paul is being very specific. In chapter 15, verse 1, he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, By this gospel you were saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Verse 3 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul is teaching them the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's no chapter markers in this uh, original language, and, and there's not really a separation between chapter 15 and 16. And so what Paul is teaching us today from chapter 16 is directly related to the chapter before it. He's going to be talking to us about growing up in another category, as he's been in this whole book, about growing up in generosity. But as he's talking about being generous, giving of our, our, our money, giving of our time, giving of our heart, he's not just saying this on its own. He's saying out of a response for what Jesus has done for us, we need to grow up and live generously. Some things happen to us when we're not just stirred, but when we're changed by when we see Jesus. When we meet with Jesus, he does convict us of sin, as we've talked about. He does forgive us of sin, as we've talked about. And he brings freedom to our heart. And that freedom in our heart should not only cause us to wave palm branches on Palm Sunday and get all excited in church, but it should bring about a change of our heart that God does in us that should change how we live our life. And it should be a life that is earmarked, characterized by being generous. It was uh, this morning when I was thinking back to what happened in my home when I was younger. 
my sister is eight years younger than me. Her name is Amy, and I, I vividly remember her being two years old, so I guess that would put me at about ten years old. And, and one of the things that Amy did that was very common to any other two-year-old is she had this word in her vocabulary that she would proclaim over and over and over and over and over. If there were toys in her room, she would say, Mine. If there were things in my room, she would say, Mine. If she'd go downstairs and she sees things of that was our parents, she'd say, that's mine. And, and from an early age, you can testify to your kids or maybe even someone telling you stories about yourself that ingrained in us is this desire to say, it is mine. I want to own it. I want to keep it. I want to hang on to it. And I guess in Amy, my two-year-old sister at the time, one of the greatest possessions she had was she loved cheese slices, the Kraft Singles cheese slices. And she would go to the refrigerator and she'd declare for all to hear that all those cheese slices, not just a few of them, they are all mine. But not everybody would cooperate with her. And so she would walk around with a handful of cheese slices hanging on to them. In fact, she would eat so many cheese slices that there would come a point when her stomach was too full. She didn't want any more cheese slices, but she was concerned that somebody else may take what was hers. And so she had a plan that was very sophisticated for a two-year-old. She would take these cheese slices and take them out of the wrapper and the portion that she had not eaten, a half-eaten cheese slice, she would stick them on the wall for future eating. And she'd leave them there. And you'd walk through the house and you would just see a cheese slice stuck to the window. You would see a cheese slice stuck to the hallway there upstairs. And, and I remember vividly my dad coming to both of us and he looked at this uh, cheese slice that had soon fallen to the ground. It was kind of crusty, but there was that cheese grease all over the wall. And he said, whose is this? At that point, my sister Amy ceased to say, it is mine. (laughs) She didn't want to take credit for the cheese slice once it was no longer a benefit to her, once it got her in trouble. You know, it's fun to think of the silly things that, that kids do or that we have done in our life, but it is, ceases to be funny when we are no longer two years old and we begin to live our life so selfishly, so clinging that everything is mine and we are marked, we are littered our life with grease stains from the cheese of things that we have said, even though I can't possibly consume all this, it has got to be mine. Paul, all through 1 Corinthians, has been telling the church there in Corinth, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop living as an infant and begin to have some marks of maturity. And one of those that Paul talks about in this last chapter is an earmark or a benchmark of maturity being generosity. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the first key thought that that Paul gives to us, and it's this, give generously of your money. That's not my words. That's what, that's what Paul says. Give generously of your money. Remember that this letter to Corinth, uh, Paul is answering some questions that they have asked. So we have one side of the telephone conversation, and, and uh, we can hear the answers, but we don't always know the questions. And so we can summarize here and begin to see that they must have been asking some things about money or, or having some issues around money, and Paul is giving them some instruction. So to their credit, they uh, are hearing what Paul is answering to them. Paul begins this teaching and he helps them see that giving is an act of worship. It's it's an act of worship. It's not a tax. It's not just something that's been passed down as a ritual that we do. It's not some kind of obligation. It is literally an act of worship. So, well, Pastor Brady, where do you get that? Well, where is that in the Word? Look at chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now about the collection for God's people. 
do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, now look at this verse 2. On the first day of every week. Well, why did Paul tell them to, to do this on the first day of every week? What did they do on that day? That was the day they gathered to worship. He was basically saying, this attitude of generosity that, that I'm wanting you to have, that you need to have to grow up in, make a pattern of it. In fact, make this pattern of giving, being generous with your money, make it a part of your worship. Let this be a marker for you as I give praise to the Lord. Let me give of what he's given to me to others. In essence, there's no chapter break here between 15 and 16. This Jesus that we serve, who died, who conquered sin, death, and the grave, and rose again, it's out of that commitment to him, that love for him, the blessing he's given to us, when I worship him on that first day. Why did they worship on that first day? That first day of the week was was when they remembered Jesus conquering sin, death, and the grave on that resurrection Sunday, and so they gave their worship in giving. Giving was a part of the church, the followers of God, for quite some time. In the Old Testament, starting with Cain and Abel and and the believers of of God, they would offer their offerings to the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus told the Pharisees that even when they gave their tithe, the tenth of all that they earned, he said, that's good and you should continue to do that, Jesus taught. He says, but your righteousness should surpass even those the people who were professional at never being late with anything, that always calculated right down to the penny and gave God exactly what they were required to give, Jesus says, you know what, do that and more. You want to know how discouraging that would have been for the early church to hear? Find the people who are the best at keeping the rules and do that and more. I'm not that good. I'm not that kind-hearted. I'm not that generous. Later we're going to find out that God agrees and says, no, you're not, but I am. Let me do a change in you. He moves on in verse 2, and we see here that the teaching continues. Giving should be done regularly and proportionately. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Let it be regular. Let it be in proportion to what you have. Sometimes in life, as, as we are blessed and we continue to be more fruitful, that we rarely consider, God, could I give you more? I love reading about John Wesley and one of our early fathers in our faith tradition. The more he was blessed financially, the more he decided he could live on less. And not that he got more and so he could give some more away, but he actually would live on less and less and less because God was doing something in his heart. What would possess somebody to do that? Paul is going to talk to us about that. In fact, Paul comes back to them and reminds them in 2 Corinthians, the follow-up letter, that what they started needs to continue. In fact, he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 9, just listen to this, don't turn there. He has scattered abroad the gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. There is this sense that God's gifts to those around us who are in need have been scattered among us. And we begin to see that Paul's teaching is coming out again through all of his letters that what we have is not really ours. It is God's. And we need to invest it in the people around us. I love that phrase that he scattered his resources abroad. Now, he also continues to teach that there needs to be a holy 
reverence for what is given to the Lord. It's not, it shouldn't be dealt with lightly. In fact, write this in if you're taking notes. The gifts that you should give should be handled ethically by the ministry. And that's why Paul talks about this in verse 3. He says, Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. In essence, he's saying, Hey, I want to protect you from any stumbling block in giving. You're not giving to the Paul Hawaii Fund or the Paul Golf Fund. You're not giving to make me more famous. In fact, I want you, Paul says, to appoint the men and, and, and give them some letters of introduction and have them come with the gift because we want to treat the giving with high esteem. Those of you who have been a part of Grace Point for a long time, what I'm about to say you just may take for granted. But I want to encourage you that this is important because we should not take this for granted. This is not the same way in every church across the land. If you're new to Grace Point, what I'm about to tell you, you need to listen up. Here at Grace Point, we treat what God has blessed the church with that comes in in tithes and offerings with high esteem. We hold ethically high standards. Some of you who maybe have been a part of churches where it seemed maybe that the the senior pastor and his wife and their lawyer kind of owned the church and kind of ran everything. You need to know that's not how things are handled here. I don't have access to any funds directly myself, and I don't want to. I don't make unilateral financial decisions by myself, and we have a board who's elected by the congregation, and they help appoint a treasurer, and there's checks and balances, and there is great care given to make sure that we use God's funds appropriately. Well, is this, Pastor Brady, just so you can protect you or the church from accusations? Well, we want to be above reproach, but it's bigger than that. We want to free all of us up and recognize when we give in tithes and offerings, we are giving to the Lord. We're not giving to a person, to a couple, to an entity, even to an institution. And so we have checks and balances to say, let's make sure this gets invested where it needs to be. I want you to know that we've just come through faith promise. And if you don't know what faith promise is or you missed that, this is a covenant that God and us have together. Nobody assigns any person a, a, an amount, but as I pray, I say, God, by faith, what is it that you would have me give to missions? Uh, I want to let you know in case you missed out on the awesome news. We had a goal of $110,000 this year to give away to world missions. And we have, to this date, received a faith promise commitments between you and the Lord of $111,000 and some change over that. God is training us and helping us to continue to be a generous person. If you have not gotten in on that, I want to encourage you to pray and let God help you be a part of that blessing. I believe this could be the year that we could give away more to others than we ever have in the history of our church. Something happens when we begin to be generous. Paul wants people to see that giving of money is a part of growing spiritually. If you're new here to Grace Point, you may be thinking to yourself, oh, I knew it. I've never been to this place. I knew if I walked in, that preacher guy would be talking about money and what money. That's all they ever talk about. Well, you come hang out again. That's not what we talk about every week. In fact, I've got great news for you if you're new to Grace Point. Grace Point does not need your money. God does not need your money. Some of you are about ready to say amen. You missed a great opportunity. Some of you, I can see it in your eyes. But before we get too excited, God wants all of you 
Grace Point wants to encourage you to give all of who you are to God. And you know what? When we hold so tightly to the things that we possess, God has a hard time blessing us because we are blocking Him. The mature Christian, the mature follower of Jesus, is brought up in things to grow up in generosity. Now remember back, as I said, there's no chapter marker in the original text here between 15 and 16. And so that... Paul is actually linking this commitment to the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ to this heart of being generous. It shouldn't surprise us. Paul is basically saying that we have been given so much, and so why should we not respond with a generous heart? For some of us here today, when we look at being a good steward, which is being responsible for things that are not ours, but when we are being good stewards or have good stewardship, I'm being responsible for stuff that I don't really own. Some of us, a big stumbling block is actually in finances. I want to give you encouragement and let you know that there are scores of people in this church that have testimony after testimony, story after story, of how when they began to trust God with their money, he not only blessed them and freed them in that area, they began to see that they could trust him in every area of their life. Hear me closely. When you give sacrificially to God, he doesn't always bless you with more zeros in your bank account. Anybody who tells you if you give God $10, he gives you $1,000 back every time, you need to just listen and make sure that they can figure out where they get that in Scripture. Now, God can do that if he wants to, but God blesses us in a zillion different ways, and we begin to see that that grip on finances is not what grips us anymore. Some of us have already got victory in that area of giving of our resources, but Paul continues on that we need to grow in generosity. And the second thing he talks about is giving generously of our time. Giving generously of our time. Look at verse 5 and 6. After I go through Macedonia, I come to you. I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Paul was extremely busy. He was writing letters. He was planting churches. He was specifically involved with Ephesus at the time, but he wanted to spend some time with the people of Corinth. He didn't want to just stop for a quick visit. He wanted to maybe stay with them for a season, for a period of time. It was important for him to spend time with them. His driving force was to invest his life into people. He gave of his time even when it wasn't convenient. At Grace Point, I want you to know that we encourage you to take a risk and not just give of resources financially, but give of your time. Imagine with me what it would look like if you just gave one hour a week serving somebody beside yourself out of the 160-some-odd hours you have in a week. Just one hour a week. What if you did that? You, You could serve here in the usher or greeter ministry. You could serve on the coffee team. You could serve in the worship arts. You could serve in the children's department. You could serve in a hundred different places. You could be a part of hands-on homework, a tutoring program. You could be a part of Adopt-A-Block. You could be a part of of short-term missions here and abroad. There's so many ways you could give of your time. But what if it wouldn't just be giving time here on this campus? What would it look like if God would stir our hearts to serve somebody at work, to serve somebody in the neighborhood, to serve somebody at school, to serve somebody in a place that we wouldn't attach a label church to? Paul is saying that when we grow up in him, there will be an attitude of being generous that will characterize our life. 1 Corinthians 16, 7 says, 
I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. Paul was deeply invested in the lives of others. He showed this through how he spent his time. It was 10, almost 11 years ago now. It was a Friday afternoon, which is typically my day off. And I was pastoring in a church in Columbus, Ohio. And I found myself in Best Buy in the DVD section. It was my time. It was my DVD time. It was my day off time. And I had given and given and given and given to people. And I was ready to just soak up a day off. I was walking down that aisle in Best Buy in the DVD section, contemplating with myself the tremendous argument of what's the greatest movie ever made wrestling between Hoosiers and Rudy, and I had a hard time deciding that it's probably Hoosiers. We can argue about that later. There you go. That's good. And right in that middle of that debate at that moment, there was a guy who walked up a little bit too close to me. He was standing a little bit awkwardly close, and what came out of his mouth surprises me even to this day. And he said, uh, hey, remember, I don't know him. He's a stranger. He says, hey, I like those shoes. Now, ladies, let me explain something to you. For us men, if another man comes and gets awkwardly close to you and comments on your shoes, you begin to think, what are you talking about? (laughs) And so I tried to fight back my face, saying what my mind was thinking, and I kind of didn't know what to do, so I stumbled for some words, and I said, uh, thanks, they were a gift, and kind of moved a little bit farther down the way. He could tell it was a little bit awkward, but he was bound and determined to start a conversation, so he came after me, walking now closer to me, and he said, uh, hey, What's that on your shirt? I had a logo shirt on. It was the logo of the church that I worked at at the time. And and he said, is that where you work? And at this moment, time begins to move really fast. It's kind of like a car accident when things are racing through your mind. And so what I'm about to tell you all took of about two seconds. But in my mind, there was a whole bunch of things going through it. And from when the time he said, what is that on your shirt? Where do you work? The Holy Spirit began to put his thumb on my back and say, Brady, you're being a royal jerk. I I want you to invest your time in somebody, and and maybe this is a divine appointment that I'm putting at your feet. And so this guy, who I don't know, who's just asked this question, I begin in my mind to come up with a great response, not wanting to put him off and, and, and discourage him about church, assuming that he wouldn't want to go to church or he'd be turned off by church. I begin to think of some creative ways for me to refer to this place that I worked. Uh, I could tell him I'm a public speaker. I could tell him I work with people for a living or whatever it may be. And before I could get that you know, nicely formulated phrase out of my mouth, he said, hey, that is a church. I've, I've seen that before. And now my mind starts racing again, and I begin to think of, well, you know, I could come up with a creative way to say, hey, we've got coffee, you can come in as you are, and hang out, the music's loud, and it's a late night service, and all these things that may be culturally appealing to him. And before I could say any of those things, he said, hey, do you think I could go with you to church sometime? Now remember, I haven't said anything other than, uh, thanks, these shoes were a gift. My mind has been racing, but he's been pursuing the whole way. And and what I learned in that moment, that this was definitely a divine appointment, and Cody was so ripe and so ready to know the Lord, and he did come to church, and he did begin to get hope and freedom in Jesus. But I'm sad to tell you today, he didn't find Jesus because of me. He found Jesus in spite of me. And I was so convinced that my DVD time was so important, and I was so convinced that I had to try to help God out to be a little bit cooler than he was, and a little bit more trendier than he was, that I almost missed an amazing opportunity to see Jesus do a work in Cody's life. You see, there's 
all kinds of cheese grease marks in our life where we begin to say, this is mine, and we consume so much, and, and we can't even take it all, but we stick the things of our life, our money, our time, in places that can be there for us when we need them, and don't realize that there are scars and marks of what is happening around us. That memory I share today, I'm definitely not proud of that, but I want it to be burned in my heart and mind forever to remember that God has called me to be generous, not only with my money, but with my time. Paul tells us in other writings to the church of Colossae, in Colossians 4, 5, he reminds us, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So I want you to fill this in on your outline. Make the most of every opportunity is what Paul is teaching. Now, he's not teaching the church of Corinth this, but it's coming through in his words in a different phrase, in a different way. He's beginning to say, give of your time, and I'm going to show you by my example. I want to come be with you and spend time with you. Paul wrote these things to churches that were facing huge cultural obstacles. In his mind, the bigger the obstacle, the greater the opportunity. Friends, some of us here today... When we think about investing our time or being generous with our time, we think this is catching me at the wrong stage of life. I'm in a personal crisis. My world is in a tailspin. I've got so many things that I need to give attention to. Friend, the greater your obstacle, the greater the opportunity that God wants to use. When you feel like your life is coming apart at the seams and you begin to share your time with someone and they begin to see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, you're never more relevant than when you share how desperate you are. The watching world around us cannot identify with you having everything pulled together and all neat and perfect, but they can identify with your hurts, your pain, and how you depend on the God who is the great I am. What would it look like if we'd invest our time? Remember, write this in, remember that your time is not your time any more than your money is your money. It's God's time, it's God's money, and he can take both away tomorrow. The third and final focus that Paul wants us to see is to give generously of our heart. You can tell a person if they are giving of their heart, and their heart is really in something, their heart is in the love of the Word of God, their heart is in loving on people, and you begin to see there's a difference. You can be generous with money, you can be generous with time, but if your heart is not in it, it's all void. You can be doing it for other ulterior motives. Jesus was constantly talking and sharing with people and healing, and he was giving his very heart away. Look at chapter 16, verse 15 through 18, and, and Paul is listing some guys' names that sound pretty funny and kind of hard to pronounce, and he's, he's thanking them, and he's bringing acknowledgement and reference to them on how, how, how good they have been, and he's modeling that he's loving on people with words. And Paul, in this whole book, has given uh, a great pattern. He would bring somebody up and give them a hug verbally, and then he'd stand back and give them a spiritual spanking. And then he'd go right back up and hug them again. You begin to mark that in your Bible. You didn't know that there were spankings in the Bible, did you? But there are. You read it. Paul would love on somebody, and then he would give them the hard truth. And then he'd love on them and give them the hard truth. And and I believe that when we get generous with our heart, there's another freedom and maturity that comes in Jesus Christ. There's three quick things I want to share with you that I think Paul does in this text and in this book and definitely in the tone and tenor of his writings. There's an affirming love. And many of us, this is difficult for us. If we're going to be generous with our heart, we would rather write a check. We would almost rather just put in some time serving somewhere. But to be 
generous with our heart, we tell ourselves these stupid little lies. Well, if I, if I give them that compliment, if I say that thing to them, they're going to get a big head. I want you to look around this room. I don't see anybody's head that's that big that they can't stand a little bit more loving on. Now, don't point out those who have bigger heads like me. Because I'm bald. You just think it's bigger. I think we could stand a whole lot more verbal love from one another. I think we could be a whole lot more transparent and generous with our heart and giving our heart away to someone else. Paul is telling us that a mark of maturity is when we begin to get generous with our money, generous with our time, and generous with our heart. What would it look like if we came into worship and and we would come into this building ready to be generous with our heart and to give our heart and love towards somebody else? Isn't that a picture of us, church, just ready to do that? I'm afraid sometimes a better picture of us is we come into this building saying, I hope they talk to me today. It's been three weeks and they haven't spoken to me one word. I hope they invite me over to their house. I've invited them over to my house three times and they've not reciprocated one time. This is the great persecution of the Church of North America. Friends, I'm not trying to make light of a situation where you may be emotionally bruised or hurt. But I want to give a wake-up call. God never gave us the church. He never gave us the body of believers so we could come in and we could stuff ourselves full of cheese slices that we could no way consume so much that it's ours to the point that we can't even hang on to it anymore. We begin to stick all these preferences in our life, and pretty soon we begin to see that we are not giving out of our heart. What if we would come in and say, I can't wait to find somebody to love on today. I can't wait to give a word of encouragement. I don't even know who they are, but I just can't wait to give it away. Jesus has done so much in me. You say, what in the world does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Would you preach a Palm Sunday message? <laughs> Paul connected the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with an attitude of giving. A brother who, who blessed my heart in his cries, I shared earlier, called out and said, God, would we not wave palm branches to you and be emotionally stirred, but get to Friday, and when things get tough, we just choose to curse you. I am so tired of us proclaiming to the world that Jesus is the answer, but we live our life in such a way that we really have the answers. I go to work, and they just really need to listen to me. I go to school, and... and, and My way is is better than what Christ's way is. What if Jesus is the answer not only for your sin, but he's the answer for your very life? And he is teaching us through Paul's words that we need to give our heart away and loving others, investing our time, investing our money, and investing our heart in loving people. Sometimes it's not just an affirming love, it's a tough love. Paul did this through this whole book. Remember, he loved them so much, he talked about the tough things. He had to have been hurt in his heart. I mean, here he planted the church and taught them the things of Jesus, but the stuff that creeped up in their life was a love for the world, a love for the perverse. Uh, There was very little difference between them and the world, and he loved them enough not just to be tender. He was tough and said, you've got to detest the things of the world. When we love with our heart, we not only affirm people, but sometimes we've got to take a chance to not only be tender, but to be tough. And and finally, there is a faithful love. At some point, you can give of your time and your 
money, but there comes a time when you are faithful day in and day out, and you are committed to be a person who loves with your heart generously. For some of us, we do a pretty poor job of looking at what we want to achieve in our life. We may have some goals of two years from now or five years from now, some things we'd like to see, but few of us think about our life as a whole, at least by the choices we make. You know what? When you come to your last days on earth, I don't think you're going to look back and be so concerned if your team won on Saturday. There's nothing wrong with wanting your team to win, but I don't think it's going to be your biggest thing. I don't think you're going to come to the end of your life and say, man, I'm so thankful that I made that move in the stock market, or I'm so thankful that I finally got those those phrases added to the beginning of my name or after my name on my door or on my desk, or I'm so thankful. God, help us. We need to have a heart that is faithful and loving. We are committed day in and day out to be generous because of what Christ has done for us. It was a number of years ago in 2007 or 2008 we begin to uh, remember a story that happened in Valley Stream, New York. I don't know if you remember this, but it was a Walmart store in Valley Stream, New York, where people began to line up at 9 p.m. on Thanksgiving evening. There was some kind of huge discount sale available for a couple of electronic items, and the video footage showed that nearly 2,000 people crowded around waiting to come in the doors as they were scheduled to open at 5 a.m. that Friday morning. But then the tragedy struck, and... As a temporary Walmart employee attempted to unlock the doors, he was trampled to death by a rush of thousands of early morning shoppers. The police said the man was 34 years old and lived in Queens. The security personnel and officers said it was utter chaos. The security said we tried to get to him, and the video footage confirmed we tried to push against the crowd, but we too ourselves were, were pushed down, and this man's life was trampled by a desire to get more of mine. Paul is screaming out to us, what if we would take this urgency not to collect more cheese slices for ourselves and stick them away to store for future eating, but what if we would take the same tenacity and trample over the things of this world to give love to people, to give our resources to people, to give people our time? Well, why would I want to do that? I'm so glad you asked. Because of Palm Sunday. Because of Holy Week. Because of a God who gave His best for us while we weren't even coming to Him. His love should change us. Oh, I just want to kind of be stirred. God help us. We need to be changed. Well, Pastor Brady, that's not my personality. You know what? It wasn't Paul's either. I can't think of anybody who was more unlikely to love people with his life than Paul. Remember, he was the professional religious guy who who was breathing out murderous threats to any Christian, and yet when he saw Jesus, he was changed. As we close this morning, I want to encourage you to make the most of this amazing opportunity this week. As godless as our culture is, as confused and lost as they are on morals and what is right, there is still a norm in our society for whatever reason that people are open to come to church on Easter. For false ideas, probably. Out of guilt, maybe for some. But let's seize every opportunity. I want to highlight our salvation candle again. If you don't know by now, this is a candle that's special to us, not because it's like super sacred or something, but every time we light it, it represents the light of Jesus coming on in somebody's life. I wish that we could light it this morning, but I haven't heard that praise report that somebody in the last seven days found Jesus as a result of us pointing them to Jesus. 
But I want this to remind us that there's people in our circle of influence that if we would be generous with what Jesus has given to us in resources and time in my heart, there's somebody who's like Cody that needs to find Jesus. And I pray that you don't follow my early example of them getting to Jesus in spite of you. Maybe we could actually help lead people. So before we pray, I want you to think about a name or two in your mind. You're not judging them. You're not saying they're a hellion. To the best of your knowledge, they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. What would happen if you talk to them and you find out that they're saved? Then just celebrate and say, brother, that's awesome. You found Jesus already. That's great. There's two men that I'm praying for right now that I'm trying to build relationship with. I'm, I'm hoping that they will come join us. But I want to be generous because of what Jesus has done for me. I want you to pray about God giving you an opportunity to invite them to hear the good news. It's going to be proclaimed loud and clear and shorter on Easter Sunday. But what if God would prompt you, and what if they are ripe and ready to hear about Jesus on Thursday? Then tell them. Because God has done something in us, and we want to be generous, not because it's what our parents have told us to do, not because it's what our church told us to do, it's not because that we have to do something, but because Jesus has changed our life, and I no longer want to hang on to mine, 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 and I want to give away what was so freely given to me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that your word is true every time. I thank you for how you're stirring in us your divine promptings to get in a place where we will grow up in generosity. Lord, I pray first you will begin to convict us of the cheese, grease stains in our life that are evidence of us trying to just cling so tightly to maybe resources, maybe our time, maybe our very heart. And prompt us, not out of religion, but out of an overflow of seeing what you have done for us, Jesus, to give away what you have given to us. Lord, I pray for Sam. I pray for Jake. God, I pray that they will come to a place where they'll not only let Carrie and I continue to love on them, but they will receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for the circle of influence in this room. God, give us thousands, tens of thousands of people that we could love on with your love, an affirming love, a tender and tough love, but a faithful love, Lord, where we will not grow tired and weary of giving out your message. I confess this morning I have zero confidence in Brady. I have zero confidence even in my friends in this room, but you are the great I am, and I am so confident in your power and your passion and your ability to do in and through us what you want to do. So, Father, we're willing to be obedient. We ask that you'll be faithful and show us those opportunities this week. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for your heartfelt worship today. Join us at 6 o'clock tonight as we continue on being in sync with God and learning how to hear from God. We will have church. Even if there's snow, we're going to have church. If you feel unsafe, don't risk life and limb. Stay safe. But come on back. Join us at 6 o'clock tonight. I look outside. There's no snow. It's sunny and 75 degrees. I can see it. Have a blessed day.